Father God, thank you. Thank you for uh, all that you've done and all that you still do, Father. That we could sing to you how great you are, Father. And that we could remember that you're always with us and how much we need your ghost, Father. And that we can have joy in your house. Just bless this time, Father. Bless the message. Just speak to our hearts, soften our hearts, Father. I just pray that your spirit would just move in a mighty way today and as we go out throughout the week. In your name, amen. amen. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Thank y'all for uh, coming out to hang out with us and listen. Yeah. Palm Sunday is kind of a very special Sunday. It starts out the uh, week known as the Holy Week, uh, and week leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the last week that Jesus was alive before his death on the cross, he had a lot of things going on, uh, starting with uh, the arrival in uh, the little hamlet or village of Bethany, which was a teeny little community about two miles out from Jerusalem. He came into uh, Bethany, uh, they believe, on a Friday, uh, rested, traveled up to Jerusalem for Palm Sunday for the triumphant entry that Sunday. Followed the next day clearing out the temple, which is the second time he had done that. Uh, he started out his ministry clearing out the temple where he uh, made some whips and literally whipped the snot ass of people to get them out of the temple because they're making it a, a den of thieves. To uh, that Tuesday, a day of controversy and parables, uh, a lot of the church leaders were trying to test him and, and get him caught up because they're trying to kill him and find a reason to kill him. Followed by the Last Supper on the Thursday, his crucifixion that Friday, which we call Good Friday, and also being placed in the tomb that Friday, to his resurrection that Sunday, which we'll be celebrating next week. So they had a lot going on that, uh, that last week there. But long before that week, there was a couple of Old Testament prophecies about that Sunday that uh, I want to look at before we really get going into things. Uh, the first one from Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and cry aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and able to deliver. He is humble and riding on a donkey, a colt, the offspring of a donkey. That is foretelling, uh, foretelling how he was going to ride into Jerusalem. And then the response of the people as he was riding in, we found uh, being prophesied about in Psalms 118, 22 through 26. And I'll have all this uh, written down there after a while. It says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this is what the Lord has done. It is marvelous in your eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we ask you, our Hosanna. Save us. O Lord, O Lord, we ask you, send now success. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So leading up to Palm Sunday, I'd like to start out in John chapter 12, 
starting in verse 1. Uh, this is uh, a little bit back history. This is where Jesus is first coming into uh, the village of Bethany uh, before riding up to uh, Jerusalem. I'll give you a second, Christy. Thank you. You're welcome. I know I've had you flipping already. John 12, starting in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had risen from the dead. They prepared a supper for him there. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of very costly ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the money box, he used to steal what was in it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. Before Jesus even went up to Jerusalem, preparation was already being made. She had no idea that she is literally preparing his body to be killed a week later. Or throughout that week. And after that passage, we see where a lot of the church leaders are wanting to uh, not only hunt down Jesus to kill him, but also Lazarus, because people are saying that Lazarus is brought back to the dead, so that's causing people to follow Jesus even more. And I'll be uh, actually jumping to Mark chapter 11 here in a second, Christy. Anybody else flipping? Uh, John 12 does talk a lot about, or talk a little bit about uh, Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem. But I kind of like uh, the details that Mark put in there. So. so it's the book after Matthew. Mark. Yep, Mark chapter 11. But when, uh, while he was there, a lot of the people in the area heard that Jesus was in the house having a meal and with Lazarus, and they came to see Jesus and see that Lazarus, in fact, was alive. So the, that Sunday when he's uh, riding that donkey up to uh, Jerusalem, it's going to be the same people that are crying out to him. So we'll start in uh, verse 1. It says, When they drew near to Jerusalem, they came from Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives and sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street. And they untied it. And some of those who stood there said to them, 
What are you doing untying the colt? And they answered, as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat upon it. Many spread their garments on the street, and others cut down branches off the trees and scattered them on the streets. Those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple, and he had looked around at everything as the hour was now late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So one of the things I was wanting to point out that I kind of brought up a little bit, the crowd here that is crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, is the same crowd that went to see Jesus and Lazarus at that meal. It's not the same crowd that later in the week would be screaming, crucify him, which there's some arguments out there that saying that that's going to be the same crowd. But I, I personally believe this is not the same crowd. And, uh, and I'm not the only one that thinks that. Uh, I was actually listening to uh, a sermon on this chapter uh, from uh, Alistair Begg, and he was he was feeling the same way that it it wasn't the same crowd that you would see later on uh, during the crucifixion or right before the crucifixion of Jesus. And one of the things that uh, kind of stood out to me as I was studying this, uh, and we don't have to jump all over the place on this one, but. Uh, from Luke's account, from uh, chapter 39, it says that some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these should be silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This was a mighty way of saying that nothing can stop the praise and worship of Jesus. And that if man won't worship him, then the earth, the earth itself will cry out to him. Uh, I always have loved that that account because uh i got a very strong reminder of this when i was down in chile uh the river that runs uh, right past santiago there's some rocks in that river that have little crosses in them especially if you crack crack them open that if i remember correctly it's a special type of quartz but it's got a perfect little cross in it and we're uh, looking at that and just being reminded that if we won't cry out and worship to them the rocks themselves will so that's something that's always been ingrained in the back of my mind that the Lord will be worshipped no matter what. Uh, we'll move on to uh, verse 12, also in Mark 11. On the next day when they had returned from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree with leaves, he went to see if perhaps he might find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing except the leaves. For it was not the season for the figs, and Jesus said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The interesting part about this, and I found this as I was studying, and, and Carolyn might know more about this than I do, uh, dealing with uh, shrubberies and trees, but the fact that it had leaves, even at a season, meant that there should have been some sign of fruit, some type of budding, something. But... The passage doesn't say that there's any signs of fruit, which is part of why Jesus cursed it. Wasn't the fact that it was lacking figs, it was the fact that it was lacking any signs of fruit. No fruit buds, no fallen fruit on the ground, nothing that was useful. 
And many scholars have found this as a metaphor of the temple and also a warning to the church as a whole. That as a body, if you are not showing any fruit in your life as a church, that the Lord will just cast you off. You're not usable to him because you have no fruit like you should. You're not healthy. You either need to be pruned so that you can grow back and bring the fruit that you need or something else needs more drastic needs to happen. Hopefully just the pruning part. It's unpleasant, but it's beautiful in the long run. Uh, on to verse 15, it says, And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went to the temple and began to drive out those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry any vessel through the temple. And he had taught them and said, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of thieves. The scribes and the chief priests heard it and looked for a way to kill him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teachings. When evening came, he went out of the city. I said before, this was not the first time that Jesus had uh, cleared out the temple. We see at the beginning of his ministry, right after the uh, turning water into wine at the uh, at the wedding, he found himself at the, at the temple and he was clearing it out then. And he, at that point, he made some whips out of cords and literally whipped those guys to get them out of there. It wasn't the fact that they were just selling what was needed. They had crooked money changers in there. And then they also had guys that were sitting directly in the courts where they shouldn't have been sitting, exchanging goods, exchanging money. And a lot of the things that they were selling were needed for the sacrifices, but they were doing it in a crooked way. The other thing, like how it was talking about how he wouldn't allow them to transport any vessel or any goods through, a lot of the people at the time, we're also using the temple as just a cut through to take their goods from one side of town to the other instead of having to go around the temple. So it kind of made him upset because it was taking away the sanctity of the, the temple, the respect for the temple in God's house there. Uh, verse 20 says, In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter, calling out to remember it, said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Then Jesus answered them, Have faith in God, for truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be moved, or be removed and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you of your sins. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you of your sins. First, I think by this time, Jesus is fully, fully aware that the time is quickly passing and that there's still so much that his disciples need to truly grasp. So this topic of faith is such a deep topic that many can hear it and never fully get it. And Jesus brought up the issues of doubt and unforgiveness that so many times act as a roadblock to the metaphysical or the supernatural side of the Christian wall. 
people either doubting that the Lord will actually do what he says he's going to do or just harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in their hearts. It's two major roadblocks to anything spiritual within our Christian walk. Because if we're not forgiving others, then we're not. Jesus is pretty much saying if we're not willing to forgive others and if we're not allowing ourselves to forgive others, are we truly grasping the forgiveness that the Father is offering? A lot has, was transpiring throughout that week. I'm trying to reach as much of it as I can here. And then we move on to the Last Supper which is where the majority of this message is going to be found out. There was so much more to the Last Supper than just the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup that we commonly partake in. And we'll be uh, jumping over to John chapter 13. The fact, the book of John captures the Last Supper and it's stretched out over three chapters. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all three chapters. I promise you. The first of which starts in chapter 13. Can I give you a second, Christy? You're fine. Go ahead. I got to get something to drink, too. So. I'll be starting in verse 1. It says, now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world, from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now supper being concluded, the devil had put into the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and wrapped himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was wrapped. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered him, You do not understand what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. I think at that moment, Peter realized that Jesus was talking a whole lot more than just physically washing his feet, which is a servant's job there. That was not the teacher's job or the guest of honor's job. That's, that's the servant's job. But I think Peter started to realize that Jesus was really speaking on the washing of sins. I was starting to get a grasp on that. Now, I say that because of his response to, uh, to what Jesus said there. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew that he would betray him. Therefore he said to him, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put on his garments, he sat down again and said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you speak accurately. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
You also have to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who was sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it happens, that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I'm, I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And now he, there was leaning against Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And therefore Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask him, who it was of whom he spoke. And leaning back against Jesus' bosom, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after receiving the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and then Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do it quickly. But no one at the table knew why he said this to him. And since Judas had the money box, some thought that Jesus said to him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then left immediately. And it was night, and when he had gone out, Jesus then said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will immediately glorify him. Little children... Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I will tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another, and by all this men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I'm going to pause right there. Honestly, I think Jesus knew exactly how bullheaded his people could be and would be. He knew exactly to, about the things that we would disagree about and how much we needed to remain united. And also, if anybody were to ask exactly what a disciple of Jesus was and what they looked like, he just answered it for them. When it says, all that you will know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Sometimes we, uh, we miss the mark on that big time within uh, church communities so a lot of times we uh, everybody's right everybody's right in their own right and they know they're right and they're, they're going to prove they're right sometimes being right is not being done in love if that makes sense uh, sometimes people think they're right and they're actually not right and just the amount of Bitterness and hatred that spews out of some folks' mouth when they think they're right. It's not very loving. So Jesus right there is saying, y'all got to love each other. you got to be tight. you got to be united. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. 
through your love for one another. I get too far into that. Let's move on to 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? He said, I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you deny me three times. That's going to be a severe uppercut to the gut to tell Jesus that you would die for him. And Jesus' first words in reply are, really? You think so? Let me tell you what's really up here. We also see this in Luke chapter 22, uh, 31 through 34. And it says, and then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to have you sifted as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. He said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you will know me. I include that because I love Jesus' reaction and response that was recorded in Luke. Where Jesus didn't just stop with, dude, you're, you're going to mess up. But he also added that basically when you get over yourself, you get over the mess up, and you have repented, go strengthen your brothers. Basically, Jesus was telling him, I named you the rock, the cornerstone that I would build my church on. Go and be strong and lead well. Yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to deny me, but I need you to be strong and lead well. That's me paraphrasing that. Over the next two chapters of John, Jesus teaches the disciples more on the Holy Spirit and how to rely on the Holy Spirit, much of which the disciples still remain confused about. And I get two passages right quick. One from uh, John 14, 26-27, where Jesus told them that the Counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have told you. Peace I leave, I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. And then in chapter 16, 12 through 15, it says, I have yet many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them right now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will tell you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will, he will receive from me and declare it to you all that the Father has in his mind. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. That's the gist of what John shows for the Last Supper. But most of what we think about when we think about the Last Supper is the act of communion, which we don't find the actual act that we're used to seeing in the book of John. We find it in Matthew and Luke and I believe Mark, but we don't necessarily find it in John. So we're going to get into communion right quick. And then I'll finish it. 
But we find in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26, where Jesus was saying, As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and after he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many of the remissions of sin. After the uh, Last Supper was also one of the most significant evenings right before Jesus was going to be betrayed. I'm going to go through that right quick. Uh, Jesus' prayer in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus took along Peter, James, and John. And I'd like to uh, everybody to listen to what the heart of Jesus was as he was praying uh, and y'all don't have to turn here unless you just want to. I'll be starting out with John 17, 6 through 26. Jesus was praying, I have revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know all things you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you gave me. And they have received them and certainly known that I came from you. And they believe me that I sent that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All that are mine are yours, and all that are yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am to be no longer in the world, though these are in the world, for I am coming to you. Holy Father, through your name keep those who you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, and I've kept those who you have given me. And none of them is lost except for the son of pardonation, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. For their sakes I sacrifice myself, that they may also may be sacrificed by truth, or sanctified by truth. I do not pray these things alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you are one. May they also be one as us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory which you gave me, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may, <clears throat> they may be perfect in unity, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be where I am, that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the creation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared your name to them, and I will declare it. That the love which you have loved, loved me, may be in them, and I in them. One of the things that stood out from that prayer was that they may be one as we are one. Jesus was not only praying over his disciples then, but he was praying over his future disciples, us. And the book of John shares this event in a more short and straight to the point manner. In John 17, 1 through 5, and says, When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted his eyes towards heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh. He will give eternal life to, to uh, all whom have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory which I had before you, before the world even existed. And then Luke twenty-two, forty-three, forty-six says, And when he came, he said to them, Pray that you not fall into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not of my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and he began to anguish, and he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood. Some translations say that he was sweating blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from the prayer, he had come to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you fall into temptation. And lastly, the book of Mark, chapter 14, 32 through 42 says, And they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John with him and began to be greatly distressed and very troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply sorrowful unto death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed, If it was possible, 
that it might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, it not what I will, but you, but your will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said, Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Then the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, and he went, he went away and he prayed the same words. And when he returned, he again found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And when he returned a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Look, he who betrays me is at hand. I believe there's a... I believe due to the, the disciples sleeping, we have a slight difference in the encounters here and the record of Jesus' prayer. So they caught... Jesus prayed the whole time and they recorded different aspects of it. And at the end of this one, the rest of Jesus takes place in the most significant 72 hours the earth has ever seen takes place. The entire week is filled with so many Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled. This is arguably the most significant week the earth has ever seen this far, 2,000 years ago. But even the Holy Week may not hold up to the day of Jesus' return. And next week we get to look at the most pivotal moment ever in time. The resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, for the records that you have here. Of the final week of your ministry here on earth, Father. And how jam-packed it was and how much is in it, Father. We can go on for years and never get out of the Holy Week as we study because there's just so much there, Father. I just ask you to speak to our hearts, that you'd set our hearts on fire and make us very hungry for your word, and that we'd be able to research this and study this independently on our own as well, Father, and that you'd speak speak to us in a mighty, mighty way. Bless us as we go out, Father. Give us wisdom and strength, and fill us with your spirit, Father. In your fresh holy name, amen.